What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Joe Bonamassa here with another exciting episode of Live from Nerdville. Today we are broadcasting from a sunny place for shady people, Los Angeles, California, and New Orleans, Louisiana. And my honored guest is Samantha Fish. Samantha, thank you very much for doing this. It's an honor to talk to you. For as long as we've been around, I think I've only met you once or twice. And, and that's a shame because I, I have the utmost respect for you. And, and I just think you're killing it. And, and, and one of the bright stars of the blues. That's really nice of you to say. I, that was the first thing I brought up to you when we met like two years ago on your cruise. I was like, I can't believe we've never actually met, you know? Right. I, I feel like I'd been running around the scene for a while and I should, you know, it was really nice to meet you. And thank you for having me on your show today. No problem. You know, you know how I travel. Um, I, I, the reason why we haven't met before is, is after each show, um, the guy in the suit folds up and I'm put in a road case. Yeah. And I ride in the truck, okay? So I just live in a road case. So I'm not allowed to see anybody. I'm not allowed to socialize. That's why I'm awkward. And, and, and I think it makes me good at my job, but, but an awkward person. Yeah, I mean, you're just saving it up for the stage, you know? That's all I am. I'm just a, a, a human ATM machine in a suit. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so tell me, um, you know, you tour a lot and make records to tour you tour because you have a new record and it's a cycle. Yes. A year ago, the cycle is broken. Tell me about your last show before the Armageddon. Um, okay, so we were in Leuven, Belgium. And at that point, stuff had started getting weird. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we were kind of expect, I was starting to think, okay, I don't think that we're gonna make it through this tour just because, you know, we'd started hearing things about Italy and, we were in the UK, but we're like, oh, but it's not in the UK. And then the second we left the UK, they're like, oh yeah, it's in the UK. And we did our show in Paris and I started seeing signs like on the wall, like they were limiting capacity at shows. Um, our last show was in Leuven and it was just kind of eerie. You know, everybody was a little bit weirded out in the audience. You could tell they were sort of like, they really enjoyed the show. They had fun at the show, but they were, it wasn't a normal show. Right. And that night we all gathered in the lobby of the hotel and we were, um, watching Trump's address and he said if you're not home by Friday you're not getting back in so mm -hmm. it, you know so of course I'm on the phone with my manager and the tour manager and the travel agent like we got to get the hell out of here we ended right. up having to fly from Amsterdam to Moscow to New York to New Orleans just because there was no flight plans available people just like panicked and bottom up right um, yeah it was really strange it was kind of scary and I got home and it just uh and, and here I've existed since you know um, what date was that? Do you remember? Um, we got home Friday the 13th. So March 13th, I think our last show must've been the 11th or the 12th. Yeah. March. Yeah. That was my last show. My last show was in Milwaukee and you know, rule, rule of thumb is show business. Don't do gigs with dogs or kids, you know, and you're only as good as your last show. And I can tell you this, Milwaukee at the Riverside Theater, not to toot my own horn, we were pretty damn good. That's kind of really? kept me that, that I was like, you know, the band was good tonight. But you yeah. could tell something weird was going on and you could definitely tell that it was scaling really fast because the week before it was just it was okay and then yeah. over the weekend and then we got we got sent home the governor shut us down in green bay we moved on to minneapolis and it was just over i was like let's get on the bus and that's enough for a day you know it it feel it felt like kind of surreal you know i mean the when we got there, I mean, it just didn't feel like something like that would happen. You know, we, yeah. right when we got over to Europe, it was like, we'd heard of the first case in the US and it was like, oh, okay. You know, I mean, it just, 
I, I don't know. I never in a million years thought that we'd be just packing up the tour and going home. It was just such a strange feeling. And then even when I got home, you know, I was on the phone again with the manager, like we had dates in April and I was like, well, this will be over by then. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it just kept getting delayed and pushed back. And even by July, I was like, we have dates in July. And it's like, oh no, you're, you know, get with it, chick, you know, you're off, you're off for a while. So it took a while to settle in and get used to the idea. Um, but it's a, uh, yeah, what a strange trip. It's, it's, it's been strange. Do you, do you, I don't know, I, maybe I only can speak for myself. Did you find yourself initially in those first couple of months when, once you accepted the fact that this is, we're, we're going to be off for a minute. Yeah. I, I would kind of like ride the news, like, and my, my whole sense of value was, was okay, summer, we're still good. We're still on sale. No, that's out. Fall, no, it's out. Now I found myself with these peaks and valleys yeah. and then, and then contemplating going, all right, I guess I'll just start my make your own salad chain, you know, you know, <laughs> Joe's family feed bag and, 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 and an antique store. And, and uh, it's been a good run, you know? I mean, did you go through those kind of emotions? Because again, it's like, you're a performer. This is what you do. Well, we just kind of, I kind of realized like I have to do something to possibly restructure my business. This feels like another point in the music industry where we have to evolve past like the road show being the biggest part of the business. You know, for, for me personally, it's like, I have to, you know, figure out a way that, you know, to make streaming and web interaction a thing that like in a way that I hadn't done I mean we've always had a strong social media presence but I'm like you know I'm watching TikTok and stuff I'm like okay I'm not quite on that (laughs) media tip but um you know I I definitely hit that like and, and then we started trying to pay attention to when infection rates were down and and we can maybe go and do five dates when it was safe and we could do a socially distanced show but we you know we always kept an eye on like where was the country at with infections and the states that we were going to, because every state has different, you know, rules as far mm-hmm. as how they're handling the virus. And yeah, I mean, I, I definitely felt those lows though. I think around June was the first real moment where I was like, oh, what am I, I guess I should do something else. You know, I love playing music. This is crazy. Um, but I snapped out of that. Yeah, I snapped out. You still, I mean, you still have to have the passion for, for it and remember it, you know? And I think going forward, I think, it's, it's going to look a little different in the short term, possibly forever. You know, it's not going to, it's not just going to pick up where, where it, it left off in March, because a lot of people think it's like, oh, we're just going to flip the switch and boom, there we go again. I think it's going to look a little bit different. I think crowd size is going to be truncated. I just, because people are still freaked out. Like I know people that are really freaked out. Like they wear plastic gloves to turn on the lights, you know, and, yeah. and, you know, some hyperbaric chamber around their head, you know, I'm yeah. like, well, that's just me in my house normally because I'm a German. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. You, you grew up in a musical family. Your mom was a, 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 was a choir teacher in church. or a, like- Yeah, she sang in church a bunch when I was a kid and she would participate in different choirs. And, um, and she was classically trained and when she was like in high school and a young kid. And so she always had that, the, the singing thing was always, you know, there for her. And your sister, Amanda, accomplished musician in her own right. So like, when did you say, I'm going to go in the family business. I'm going to, I'm going to pick up a guitar. I'm going to start singing. I'm going to, I'm going to get in this music business. Seems real easy, straightforward. Oh God. 
Well, it never felt like that. I mean, I think being that I was just where I was from and I'm really from a pretty practical upbringing. My, um, you know, my parents have always been supportive, but I do remember when I told them initially, I'm going to be a musician. It was like, really, <laughs> you know, cause it doesn't, it's hard to imagine point A to point B and like, um, and I, I just started realizing when I was going out to see shows and live music, I was seeing all these musicians who were like, Hey, these guys are touring, you know, and it's, it's not just what you hear on the radio and it feels far fetched. Just like, here's, you know, something you can do day by day to build a business and build a brand. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just being able to see it happen in front of me changed my perspective on it and made me want to, you know, do it. Um, my, my dad's always been very supportive. He, um, he taught me how to play the pentatonic scale and all the open chords and, um, you know, so I've had, I've had supportive parents, um, and just encouraging, you know, but, but it kind of, I think it freaked them out at first when I told them I wanted to. Yeah. My, my father had a music store and, um, he, he, he was a, he was like a weekend warrior. He would play, he had a regular job and he would play. And just when my mother convinced him that to quit the, quit the extracurricular activities, meaning the, the, the gigs, yeah. here comes an 11 year old Joe B we picking up where he left off. And like, you could just see my mother going, Oh God, I'm just doomed with this music stuff. I mean, when did you know you were good? Because because if it was easy, everybody would do it. And, you know, there's a moment in everybody's life as a musician where you realize that no matter what you do at any skill level, you have a, 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 a unique ability to grab, grasp the attention of an audience. And yeah. that's something you can teach. You can learn all the scales. You can, you can sit in front of your phone, Instagram away, you know, but when you're in front of a crowd, it's like, oh, who is that? You know, when did you realize you had the je ne sais quoi of, of, a, of, of a musician that, that could grasp the attention of an audience? Um, you know, that's something I, I honestly, I'll fluctuate back and forth on all the time. Um, mm-hmm. I, I remember being 17 the first time I got up in front of an audience and this guy who became my mentor told me, he's like, you have the voice, you have a, a voice. It's like, and that was the first time I'd ever heard somebody tell me that. It was literally the first time I got in front of an audience and I was scared and was shaking and I played a few songs. Don't even remember what they were. And it was like, it happened so fast. And I was so terrified because I really was like a horribly shy kid. Like, right. you know, walk into the house and I didn't even want to turn on the lights because I didn't want to like upset the balance of whoever right. was there. Just horribly shy. Couldn't even give a book report. There's no way in hell I ever thought I'd be up on a stage performing to people, but I don't know. You know, I think you kind of realize that I I think good is really subjective. I think, I think that kind of talent, it's like everybody has their own perspective on what that is, but Mm -hmm. you know, people seem to be maybe affected by what I was doing. And, and, you know, I, I just know when I would go and see live music, how good it made me feel. And I wanted to be able to do that, you know, for other people. And, you know, so I think that was the driving force. I've never really felt like I was like great at it, but it's like something I strive for and work hard on. Um, You know, I'm I'm very critical of myself and my performances. If I ever think I sound great, then I'll go listen to a recording, but like nails on a chalkboard, you know, but 
yeah, it, it yeah, happened. Um, I mean, being from Kansas City, I mean, there, there was, I mean, just everybody, every act runs through Kansas City. You yeah. know, I remember playing the Grand Emporium when Roger owned it. Um, I never played Knuckleheads. That was the one gig I never got. Um, yeah. I played the Grand Emporium. And, but, you know, just seeing the posters on the wall and the musical legacy of Kansas City, you know, I mean, you know, all the blues acts run through there, all the rock acts run through there. And, and, yeah. and, and having that, you know, like, were your parents encouraging for you, like, hey, I want to go see Buddy Guy, or, you know, would they, would they, would they take you to shows in like your formative years? Yeah. Um, I remember my first concert, my dad took me to, me and my sister, he took us to Cheryl Crow. And I, at first I was like 13. I'm like, why would I want to go see someone play an instrument? Like, why right. would I do that? And then I went and I was completely blown away. She was so cool. She was running around stage playing every instrument up there. And she was so in charge and just had the audience completely captivated. And, you know, so my dad saw how much like live music was a good thing for us. And he started taking me to like knuckleheads when I was 17. Um, and, you know, I just, I kind of, gained a rapport with the with the club owner Frank and sound guy Pete and they would introduce me to the different bands that would come through town and eventually you know after like a year or two I'd start sitting in at the jams and I'd start sitting in with different bands and you know right. kind of meeting this peer group um in my late teens and you know um but yeah I mean my dad my dad really had a huge hand in taking me out and uh showing showing me this stuff you know I mean it's it you know, knuckleheads has kind of been like, you know, like in your formative years, that was like your home base of like, you know, that was your, that was your gig. You probably yeah. started the tour or ended the tour there. And, and, <laughs> you know, that was, you know, it, it's great to have that, that, that farm system that, yeah. that I think now in 2021 with a lot of these clubs are going to really have an uphill battle. And I remember when I first started, you could get from New York where I was living at the time, all the way to here to Los Angeles and you could play every 200 seater and route a tour and you weren't getting rich, but you were building fans and 40 yeah. people, like in my case, 40 people in a 200 seater was actually good enough to get your point across. And then if you could yeah. get on some opening slots and, you know, now it's like, I, I feel that that new acts coming up don't have that advantage of building the brick and mortar audience countrywide because a lot of the clubs I played are gone, you know, they just closed. Yeah, and, and COVID, you know, I mean, I'm hopeful that when things get back to some semblance of normalcy, if the clubs that did close, maybe someone will come in and reopen them or open up something in their place just because, you know, we, we need them yeah. you know, to survive. And there's, there's a whole level of mu music and, you know, musician that starts in that spot and builds from there. And if we don't have those places, it's like, you're going to have more of these top huge acts and people down at the bottom that can't seem to, you know, build yeah. off of that. If they're really important. I, I'm hopeful that they can come back, but you know, knuckleheads was always a great spot for that. And even, even when I started, I started routing like, you know, cool little regional mm -hmm. tours and there's a lot of places to play. How, how important is being business savvy? Cause you've brought up a couple of times, building a brand, restructuring your business, you know, and, and like a lot of artists don't get that, you know, they're just like, Hey, call Frankie. He, he takes care of the business. You know what I mean? But you, you, you have a, you seem to have a very, very um, clear view of where you want to go, how you want to build your brand, because like it or not, 
Samantha Fish is a brand, you know, it's hard to detach that, you know, it's like, well, you know, it's probably says it on your driver's license. And if you get pulled over, you're like, hey, I'm Samantha Fish, uh, <laughs> the human and the brand. Can you not give me a ticket? You do an 85 and a 50. Or hi, I'm Joe Bonamassa. You may not have heard of me, but I am somebody somewhere in some places around the world. Um, like, how important is that when you build, you know, when you're building, you know, building your brand and your, your, your image? Um, because there's a lot more to just playing and sing it, you know? Man, I should be asking you. You're one of the best at it. Like, I mean, it's it's something when I first started playing, I think it was the thing I'd say to my mom, who was very like, I think she was nervous. I'm like, it's a business, I'm building a business. And um, but it, it really is. I mean, I there are things I wish I would have learned earlier than I learned them. You know, you kind of there, there's not really a, a great instruction manual for how to start and do this. Nice. Um I got some great advice. Um, you know, there it's it's important to have, uh, you know, like with your brand and aesthetic, you know, something that ties together, something that people can look at and immediately associate with you. Right. Um, you know, but I've I've always felt that was really really important and something I, you know, always tried to focus on. But you know, I don't have like a business degree or anything. We're kind of trying to figure out and evolve as the industry changes all the time. Right. You know, how, how to stay afloat and, you know, thrive and survive. I, I mean, you know, it's, it's difficult. You got to stay out in front of all the changes. Well, when I, I saw you at the Troubadour and you, you were playing a show with Mark Broussard. Yeah. Oh, you were brilliant. You were brilliant. Yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't seen your show in a while. And, and, and I was literally, I was blown away by both, both you and Mark. And I just, I was like, wow, what a, what a great night of music. I probably should have paid, but I was like one of those LA cats well mark it for free oh yeah don't you know i had the yellow wristband two free <laughs> drinks you know I mean, absolutely you know skimming off the top like i should um <laughs> but you know you had a six-piece band yeah and and you know and i was like you know my hat's off to samantha here she's paying these guys because she's investing in herself and because the 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 thing is yeah yeah you know in the formative years or even when you're starting to draw a nice big crowd was sold out both nights and stuff like that you know the temptation is to go okay well i can pay my rent for the next six months on this tour if i if i just cut corners and 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 use the doctor rhythm instead of the drummer and and you know have a guy playing the horn parts on a keyboard and that's it you know but you had like a killer six-piece band i'm like well that's that's costing her a pretty penny a week they're not working for per diems or maybe they were i don't know but i Honestly, I, I started as a trio and mm -hmm. I really did it for the economic reasons. Um, right. And then I kept on with that because it was like, that was just what I did. And, and I, I don't know, I kind of realized like somewhere in 2016, 2015, it's like the element of surprise and keeping people on their toes and being able to shift and change and evolve. It, it creates an interest and it, and it makes people want to be aware of what you're doing, even if it's something they're not, you know, we had some super hardcore fans of the trio who weren't so into the six piece. And now some people who are hardcore fans of the six piece, they're not necessarily into this trio again, but like, right. um, you know, just being able to keep people on their, on their toes and like surprise them album to album and, and then go out and deliver, you know, if, I, if I'm yeah. going to put horns on my album, I want to go out and deliver in a way that's going to have this lush effect. And yeah, you know, it, it's, it's fun. It's, it's, I like playing in a bigger band. I mean, I, I like playing in a trio too. They both have their pros and cons and 
um it's, oh i mean yeah i mean like we our last show we had we had two singers uh, uh jaden juanita liam Pauly on horns drums bass keyboards um you know our keyboardist and you know it's like when it when it's working it's like falling back into a lovely pillow of it this. is yeah and, so and nice. it's it's so nice because you know it's this big full sound and you don't feel like you have to cover all the parts you know yeah. i'm about to do a power trio tour in a couple of weeks and rehearsing that i'm like oh crap i feel like i'm overplaying everything again yeah. you know which <laughs> i guess some people like you know but yeah. it, but it's a different it's a different headspace you know um yeah. i will say this i was listening to your album killer be kind the one the one that's out yeah and i i generally you know put you know our guest music on while i'm doing the research and you know or smoking a cigar whatever uh and or both and i just i just kept saying to myself that album and your other albums are great but to me that was a, a leap forward not not a step forward a leap forward the songs are great you're singing great like i'm like i'm like i'm like shit she found her head voice and when i saw you That's at the regard, you found your head voice i'm like wow you're like way up there now it's and hard to find in the studio isn't it like something about the ear the headphones and the microphone is like it's hard to connect to that and be relaxed when you do it i finally figured out like how to sing in a studio oh my god you know at first i was really self-conscious to sing in a studio and because like you know i'm happy to go sing in front of five thousand people i don't care like it's nothing in the studio like, there's three people right and you're like why am i more uptight about singing in front of these three people than i am about singing in front of an audience and finally i just i just had to say i, I say it out, out loud in every session i go listen i don't have to impress any of these people joe bonamost right and then i sing and i just get over it but you just gotta move five thousand people into the studio and do it for them live exactly so <laughs> but you know like the song killer be kind great lyric great Thank you. you know how did you know, like, like when you were writing this stuff, I mean, obviously it, it feels to me, it's coming from personal experiences. Um, the, the, the lyrics seem like very heartfelt to you. Um, yeah. When you sat down and started to write this thing, because we all start with a blank sheet of paper. It's like, you know, did you have an ultimate vision of where you wanted to go as a total um, with the yeah. album? As a total with the whole record? Yeah, um, like, did you have a vision? Like, I, this is the way I want it to sound. And, you know, you kind of like planned out the tracks. You know, that album in particular, you know, we just finished the touring with a, I had two albums prior to that that came out in 2017 called Chills and Fever and Bell of the West. So right. I had this like, you know, brass soulful covers album called Chills and Fever that was like covers from the 60s and 50s mm -hmm. and the Bell of the West, which was like my Americana, Americana acoustic-y songwriting album. Right. And I just wanted to like mix up what I'd done um, you know, make a songwriter's record that still had that kind of like polish and, you know, attitude and grit of, of, of what I'd done before. So, you know, that was kind of my overall encompassing vision. I went out and I worked with a bunch of different songwriters. That was the, there were, I had, I had more experience collaborating on this record than I had in the past. Um, right. I took trips. I went to Nashville and worked with mm -hmm. several different people that I, I like to work with. And then I went to LA right. and worked with some people and, you know, got a cool collection of songs and then we took them into the studio and I it was the first time I'd ever done an album where I was the only guitar player on the record which is kind of weird to me to think about now because I'm like why haven't I done this yet um 
but I really wanted to focus on, you know, building these songs out in a way where there are lots of guitar textures. It was very lush and full. Um, and, you know, just kind of make something contemporary and uh, edgy that, but it's still timeless. Yeah. You know, that's my vision. Did you, did you feel like, and, I, and I'm a firm believer in this because I, I record all over the place and I, and, and it works, you know, we did an album at Abbey Road, just finished one in New York, we've recorded in Greece. Do you feel that the studio has a lot to do with this sound of the record? Like, okay. like you did this at Royal and Ardent and a few, you know, a few other studios in the South. Like, did you feel like being there, even though the songs don't change, maybe you wrote the song in Los Angeles, but you're cutting it in Memphis. Do you, yeah, do you, no, it, do you feel it that? takes on that vibe. It takes mm -hmm. on that vibe, the Memphis vibe. I mean, you can't get away from it. We, we did it at Royal and it's just like, you can't help but be affected by where you are when you make an album. I really, I really think that that's why I think it's really important to choose where you go do the record, you know? Yeah. But yeah, definitely location plays a huge part in the sound. My first album I did when I was a kid, we were on EMI Records and I was in a band with a bunch of sons of famous musicians and we did it at Ardent. And Warren Haynes co-produced like three tracks that, that he co-wrote with us in the band. And I was this little kid and I was just like, I was like, wow, I was in Memphis and we, you know, go to these guitar shops and we found this place called Huey's Hamburgers. And I was, you know, I was like all about it. And, and it was the, and I tell this to Warren and I said this, but I said, the first time I ever realized what the munchies were was when Warren would be like, Hey, who wants to go to Huey's? And I was like the only volunteer, right? <laughs> Cause they would smoke something that smelled funny and then they want to go eat hamburgers. I'm like, Hey, yeah, cool. <laughs> I'm down. They throw down, right? Oh, they throw down, and, you know, like I, I, I don't smoke weed. I tried it a couple of times and, I, and I'll tell you, it makes me hungry and paranoid. And I'll tell you when I wake up in the morning, I'm hungry and I'm paranoid. So I'm good. I already got that naturally. Oh, you may, it just makes me stressed out. Like I get very, I'm, I think everybody's like, I don't know how to get me or something. <laughs> yeah, I just get really extra paranoid. No fun. So I, I see over your left shoulder, there's a cigar box guitar. Yes. Okay. Yes. And I've been the recipient, like us all, of many, and I still have them, I keep them in my storage, of many cigar box guitars. People would make them for me and they have yeah. two strings and, you know, and I would mess around with them in the dressing room and stuff like that. And I could never get anything out of them. You yeah. seem to be able to, be, I, I, they, I, can't, I can't get anything out of it. It's all in the pickups. It's all about the pickups, I think. All right, so give me some pro tips. Like, cause I saw you, you had, you were rocking a cigar box guitar in, in front of a sold out audience at the Troubadour. I'm like, how in the hell is she getting this thing A, in tune and B, that sound coming out of it? Because when I've attempted to do it, it just, it's nothing but feedback and, and, and tears. It's just that guitar, I'm telling you. Cause I've been in the same situation. There's been so many wonderful, lovely people that come out and build them for, for mm -hmm. me. And I, I play them and it's like, that just doesn't quite have the, the feel that mine does. Like, I think it's just, we have a really, me and that guitar have a very personal connection. I picked it up on a Midway in Helena, Arkansas, and I plugged it in. I think it's, it's got a P bass pickup in it. Gotcha. And it's got some pretty decent tuners. I mean, it does slip out, but there's just something about the, the composition of that guitar, the way it's set up, the way it was built, the pickup system, it just sounds like a little chainsaw, you know, it's very aggressive. Right. Um, I don't really have any problems with feedback on it, but you know, I, I, I like to run it through a fuzz that helps mm -hmm. a lot. And, you know, you're just, 
and I'm, I'm sure so like it, it doesn't that thing's not very nuanced let me just say that like I I'm not going to turn off all the pedals and try to play something soft like when I'm playing that guitar we're going hard and that's just, yeah 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 it's, it's not like oh we're going to bring it down and uh, do a do a soft tender ballad let me get the cigar box guitar no 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 yeah. no 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 I, I I do like you know I try to experiment with some of the other ones that people give me and, and I've been built some like really incredible like pieces of art and um yeah. And I just don't have the same connection that I do to that little thing that I've got taped together. I mean, I've literally got the pickup tape to it. Right. And it's falling apart. When I'm when I break it, it's like I think it's over. <laughs> it's right. like I'm done. I think I'm done. But you have a you have a cigar box guitar festival. I know. Tell, tell the folks, okay. So so like let's say I'm 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 Joe Customer, okay? And I'll be like, hmm. Let me get some literature about what a cigar box festival. Let me let me see. Tell me what it is. Is it is it a bunch of people that have special guitar boxes, or is it like how how do you, how you operate a festival festivus of guitar cigar box guitars? I think you have to do it carefully because it's like anything. You know, it's it's a really cool instrument, but I think if we did an entire seven hours of just these guitars, like we have we have bands that are primarily like homemade um kind of cigar box guitar players that really stick to that tradition and are really really good at it. and then we have like a band like myself i utilize it maybe a couple times in a song you know mm -hmm. um and and uh yeah i mean it's um we just try to mix up the lineup and, and get get as much diversity in the show as possible also showcasing this really cool instrument yeah you know um it before I read that uh, that you you were doing the cigar box festival, um, I had this idea. Um, it, it was called Harps and Harps, and I was going to rent out Carnegie Hall, and I was going to get like harps, people, like, harps? classical harps. Harp. Yes, like blues harmonica players with 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 classical harp. So you and, understand what I'm saying about too much of one thing might be too much of one thing. We got to mix it up. Yes, you know I, I'd love to hear. Tchaikovsky done by, you know, you know, Sugar Ray Narcia. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, whenever you have this festival, call me up. I would love to just come and be in attendance. Kim Wilson plays Beethoven's <laughs> eighth. You know, I mean, I thought I thought that was a win. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, um, so is it is it coming up? Did I read it? it it's coming up soon. Um, we did a virtual, we're doing ah. a virtual one this year because of, you know, um, but last year we did it in New Orleans. We, we did four days. We did, um, uh, yeah, four days of, 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 it was really cool, diverse lineup. I mean, it was super fun. We brought in people from all over. I mean, people from all over the world, right. Love these guitars. There's such a huge community of builders online. Um, but yeah, this year we went virtual, um, and we plan to come back you know, full, full steam at some point. That's good. Who is the Eddie Van Halen of the cigar box guitar? I've always wondered. Who's like, who's like, there's gotta be a guy who's like, man, that guy is like savant level shit. You know, captain. I'm, I'm sure he or she exists, but I have no idea who that person would be. I, I'm, I, I don't really watch other cigar box guitar players. Like when, I, when I was learning how to play, I mean, I do now because of the festival, but when I was like learning how to play, I just kind of taught myself and kept in my own little bubble about it. And now that I've been opened up to this world of players, there's so many, like, I mean, I don't know who the Eddie Van Halen would be. I'd, I'd have to get back to you on that one. I'm sure he or she's out there. 
We'll edit it in. I'll look them up or her okay, up. Okay. It'll probably, probably some some woman from Slovenia yeah. that, that that could that can do eruption note for note on the cigar box. You know. And that'll be her. It'll be her festival next year. I'll be like retirement, like have it. You know, <laughs> check out. So you know, as all singers, um, and there's a lot of musicians that watch this this show. Um, you know, one of the things that that I always try to tell people is being a a, a front person. You know person out front okay yeah the horn guys are cool they they just they're playing yeah the people who are playing behind you and and but as the as the front person and the singer how do you maintain your voice on the road because it is it is a it is a very personal thing when you're not feeling it and the rest of the band's like ready to rock and you're like this is going to be rough for me you know i mean do you have any special warm-up techniques or do you just have like a natural voice and you just eh? No, I, I have like a, a pretty strict routine and it's probably more just in my head that I have to do this to be ready. Um, mm -hmm. But to me, it's like, I kind of, I kind of think of the voice, like when you're going out to do a show, it's kind of like stretching before a workout or a run, you know, you don't, yeah. I, I don't like to go out there cold just because I feel like I am like the first five or six songs. I feel like I'm tight and I'm like trying mm -hmm to push to places. And I really like to go out and feel like I'm halfway through a show already, you know, really right. warmed up. Um, which you don't always get afforded that opportunity. Sometimes you're, for whatever reason, you know, you don't get to do that before the show, but that's something I always try to do. And I think that that probably, I did years and years of vocal um, lessons. Mm -hmm. And I, I just wanted to find out the way to maintain my voice. I didn't want to be using it wrong and and blow it out because I, right. I think I was singing wrong for a long time. I used to lose my voice all the time, all the time. Um, in fact, every time I get sick, it's like the first place the illness goes is right here in my throat. Me, Maybe because I'm nervous about it. You know, I, I don't want to lose it. So that's, it just goes. Um, I, I try to drink a lot of water, throat coat tea helps. Sleep is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, getting enough, getting enough rest, fatigue will just, it'll, it'll ruin you that and being too dry. You know, those are yeah. kind of just the basics. Ibuprofen. I hate to like abuse the, uh, medications, but if you're ever like inflamed or swollen, I take, mm -hmm. take ibuprofen because it takes some of the swelling out. Oh yeah. I, I carry the, oh shit kit. Um, yeah. when, when, when we go on the road, because it, it, at certain points, like uh, I'm the same way as you, it, and I don't catch a cold. It, it just settles right here. And if you yep. try to sing through it, you're gone in three songs. And then the next three shows are over. You know, I mean, it's like you're, you, it, you can't even speak. Yeah. And let's just say if I had, if I was a cyclist and was competing in the Tour de France, okay, I would be disqualified. <laughs> because of prednisone? <laughs> There's even one stronger than that, but yes, because yes. I, 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 I have to like, it's like once a year, you know, I'm calling up my, my friends at the pharmacy, like, give me some prednisone, you know, and they're like, Samantha, you shouldn't be taking this. I'm like, I'll be fine. I mean, it's just, you just can't go crazy on it. You know, you can't, you can't abuse it because right. you, you get used to it, but you know, they're, they're little things that do help you just get through because if the voice goes out, there's no show, you know, I feel like I can, I could snap a finger and still go out and find a way to play the guitar. Mm -hmm. It's like, sometimes there's just no way around the voice. There's yeah. no way around it. And, and it's predicated, you know, like that, that's what people are coming to see. They want to, they, they want to see the show. And, and one of the things that is like, 
I'm never more depressed in life than when I have to either postpone a show or I feel like I'm really, really struggling because I feel like I've left it on the table where I don't, I'm not performing for the people who paid for the money for the tickets, went out to dinner, got the babysitter and, you know, spent, you know, you're like, oh my God, it's like, you know, and, and it's, it's a lonely feeling. Yeah. It's a very lonely feeling. Well, I, I, I completely relate to you on that. It's, um, and I, I always feel very disappointed in myself. Like I couldn't, you know, like I didn't take better, you know, good enough care of myself, you know, but sometimes things just happen and, and it's normal. It's totally normal, but it is very disappointing to have to postpone. And I, I hate feeling like I'm just trying to get through the gig because you're right. Somebody, this could be their one night out a month and they chose to spend it with us. And here I am not, you know, completely fulfilling my end of the bargain, at least I feel, you know? Yeah. And, you know, the, one of the things and I, I'm, I'm always passionate about, cause like, but the whole COVID thing, when people were like, you know, on the TV were giving us, uh, you know, how not to catch a cold or how not to catch things advice. I'm like, you, you realize the hypochondriac, this is how I roll. You know what I mean? I'm like, you constantly wash your hands. I wear fake glasses. Okay. Because really? yeah, I just think I look cool. Are those fake glasses you're wearing right now? They're polarized. Okay. Awesome. But, but I have 20-20 vision. Um, <laughs> I'm so jealous. Um, but I, I wear glasses at the meet and greets because you catch, you catch stuff through your eyes. Like, and I've had, you know, you probably get this worse than, than, than most. Like, like people come up to you and they get, they get awkwardly close. Like, you know, awkwardly close. And then yeah, they're yeah. talking like right here. And, and then you kind of hear it in their voice. You're like, oh, do you have a cold? Oh, I'm just, it's just a little cold. Don't worry about it. And you're like, you know what? The people in Toledo three days from now are going to thank you for this encounter. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I always feel like, yeah, someone comes up and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm sick, but it's fine. I'm okay. And then you feel like a little drop of spit, like lead. You're like, oh, no, I've got uh -huh. it. Now I've got it. Oh, uh, it's, I, I am a hypochondriac on the road. I, it makes me so nervous. And I think, I think that anxiety, that fear of getting sick sometimes makes me just like completely susceptible to illness. Yes. It, the worry, the, the worry, worry, you, you manifest the disease, you, you manifest the cold. It's like, it's like, it's coming. It's like, when is it coming? When is it coming? Oh, it's here. <laughs> I have a, I, I, the, the best was beginning of the last tour. We were February. Yeah. First first two nights two nights at the fox theater covid was just starting to become a thing okay we had hand sanitizer at the meet and greets but we we're still doing the meet and greets and stuff like that this is the first show of the very first of, of the tour that ended up running about seven shows shy this woman comes up with her husband and and you know courtney our production assistant is always like yeah you know you can shake hands we'll you know, fine no problem you know gives him a little brief and um this woman takes my takes my hand and she looks at me longingly she's also 72 years old Aww. and she licks it <laughs> oh no and from that no. <laughs> for 18 more shows poor courtney had to announce in the lobby please do not lick mr bonamassa <laughs> yeah don't lick him oh my gosh like, we were in Europe when the, when it started happening. And so we we're like in, you know, France and they they want to kiss you on the face. And yeah, and I, I felt so rude because I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't. I was just giving fist bumps, too. I wasn't even shaking hands at that point. I mean, 
and uh, they were like, people were getting offended, like, what? You know, we cannot yeah. kiss. And I was like, I can't, we can't be kissing. I'm so sorry. Not, not this tour. <laughs> There's a pandemic, I guess. I don't know if you heard about it, but uh, we can't kiss. So yeah. how do you, you know, um, you know, you're very recognizable. You know, I, I can dress like a geek and I can stand in my own meet and greet line and not be recognized. Proven it twice. I've done this twice. You're very recognizable, especially at your own gigs. How do you how do you how do you deal with like, you know, like when you're when you're at the venue or outside the venue and you're mobbed and and and, you know, how do you, you know, knowing that that you have another show to do tomorrow and stuff like that? How 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 cautious are you about about interacting, you know, in, in tight quarters, you know, even before COVID? Oh, um. As far as like getting, I mean, before COVID, I, I never really thought like, as far as the illness thing, right. um, you know, I just tried to keep up like every time we do a meet and greet, I wash my hands and you know, mm. get, shake a lot of hands. Um, I don't know. I never really got too ang anxious about that kind of thing before COVID. I mean, now I'm yeah. probably going to be such a weirdo to deal with at the meet and greets, but um, you know, I never, I never felt like and, you know, if, if it's at my show, I feel like we're all there for the same reason. Everybody's being cool. But I mean, I, like we have occasionally something strange will happen. And I, I just have a really good team with me that I can kind of give the little, you right. know, hey, hey, come on over. We got a little action happening here. We can kind right. of, I got some good people around me who can like, you know, help me out of whatever weird situation I might have gotten myself into. Um because yeah, you got to be polite. You got to be polite and you, you, you're, you're, you're there for them. You know, it's like, you know. Yeah. yeah um, sometimes, you know, I, I think people get excited or that, you know, like I don't want to read a situation wrong either, but we all, you know, uh, I have a good team of people who helps keep, keep everybody cool and safe. And right. Um, I have a, I have a question asking for a friend. Yeah. Um, was Reese wine wines as grumpy as he is now when you were in the healers with him <laughs> asking for a friend. I have nothing to do with this question. It's just a friend of mine wanted to know. I mean, I don't know. He was always sweet to me personally. Um, I haven't ever heard that he's a grump. Is that a thing? Did no. he ask this question? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was super sweet. I, I don't know. He was always very sweet to me. I had fun playing with him. He's 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 a he's a treasure. We love we love him. He's been in our yeah. band seven years. And um, yeah, he he did he, he ask that question? No, I asked. I asked it for him because because okay. I know he'll get a kick out of it. No, but, he's a tall uh, man. He he's always super encouraging too. He's he's like he gives you like these really nice um, words of of wisdom. Um, mm. It's been a while since I got to play with him, but um, you know, just it's it's nice to share the the same space with him. He's a legend. He's a legend. You know, um, can you pinpoint the greatest Samantha Fish show you've ever played? No. Really? Um, let me think. Gosh. I mean, Tell You Ride has always felt really good just because when we play that festival, the people, I feel like I'm, I don't, I think I've done four, four years in a row there now. And so when we come back, it's kind of like um, a homecoming in a way and the audience right. is so engaged. That That's always a nice one. Um, it's hard to really pinpoint the best one ever because like there's different like jazz fest was really cool. Cause it was like the biggest thing I'd ever done. We played the Acura stage. Right. Um, 
And that was like really cool, but you know, I didn't, I think I was nervous. So I didn't feel like a hundred percent about my part of it. I wasn't a hundred percent like calm and ready just to, I mean, I, I feel like we've rocked it, but you know, when your nerves are in the way, they're kind of in the way. Um, but that was really fun for me. I don't know. I mean, sometimes, sometimes the best show is when the audience is just right. And you're like in an intimate club and the vibe is just there and you can kind of just let go and forget about all the BS and just, and really channel into what you're doing and play. Um, I can't tell you the, an, an exact date or anything though, but there've been a lot of great moments, you know, can you do, can you pick the best show for you ever? I'm curious. I have three. I have three. Have three? Oh my God. I make, okay. What can I ask what yours are? Shank Hall. 2004 magic something about something about the night we were still three piece um have you ever played shank hall in milwaukee yes absolutely yeah he's another he's another cheerful guy isn't he he (laughs) yeah he just all smiles and bunny rabbits very happy to be there yeah he's always happy never (laughs) seen him never seen him down not a moment in his life anyway shank hall probably 200 people magic. I remember I can, I could, it was just the right audience at the right set list. It's only nine songs, but it was intense. Yeah. Paradiso 2006 Amsterdam sold out. And it's the, the, the it was just the, it was people hanging off the rafters. We had the right show for the right moment. And my first time at Red Rocks 2014, when we did the Muddy Wolf and I, yeah. and I, and I, and I, walked off stage and I go, it could end today. It really could end today. And when I see the DVD and I go, you know, I, it, that was, I think my greatest moment. And it's been downhill from there, but I'm saying it's like, it, 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 but to me, like the great shows, it's the symbiotic relationship between you and the crowd. It may yeah. not be note perfect, but there's something about they're ready for a connection with you. They're ready for a certain kind of set list. And you deliver that and then some and there was was a show like that in London I remember we we played a sold out show in London I think it was 2017 and yeah I felt like I I don't know it was just something about being in a city like London it was a sold out show we were in this basement this rock and roll club and it was just so much fun like the audience was primed we were like ready to go right um you know, and, and, and those are the moments where you just, you own it, you know, there's nothing, none of that other nerves, you know, things could go wrong in your way. You just go out and own it. It's pretty, yeah. I hear what you're saying. What's the worst show you've ever played? Oh God. Um, you knew that was coming. Disneyland Paris on my 22nd birthday. <laughs> Euro Disney. You played Euro Disney. How? I did. <laughs> That's well, a great gig. But we we played this club that was outside of Disney itself. We were like in the, um, some kind of area that outside of the actual park. And it was my birthday. And all I wanted to do was go ride. I'm like, I just want to ride the teacups. And they were like, no. So we played this gig and everything, all the amps had to be unplugged um, and covered, baffled. Mm-hmm. I would baffled them if they were unplugging the speakers, but they, they caged up the drummer and we all had to play with in-ears with no speakers on stage. Right. And I remember I was doing my big ballad and these monitors that weren't fitted fell out of my ears and onto the ground Fantastic. and I'm singing and I can't hear anything out front. And 
my girl Danny Wilde's over and she's trying to shove these things back into my ears and it's not mm -hmm. working. And that was tech, like a technical nightmare, kind of a gig. I mean, that kind of stuff happens though. Like, I mean, right. not, yeah, it's few and far between. I'm trying to think, I'm sure there's been some other terrible, I, it was a good feeling though. It was nice to be in Paris and it was cool to be in Disney world on my birthday. But I just remember feeling like so defeated after that. I think it's the, it was the feeling of defeat. Like, right. You know, yeah, you feel like you've let, you know, it's like you let not only yourself down, but the audience down and it just, it just didn't work, you know? I had another gig at Knuckleheads. It was my first um, sold out show at Knuckleheads. And I came back from a European tour and I was completely sick and I had lost my voice. And I remember before the gig, someone brought me a ginger root and they're like, if you eat this, you'll get your voice back. So I'm backstage chewing on this giant, massive ginger root, like, you know, but it, my voice didn't come back and I there was another band in the back in the backstage like uh, the back room I think it was Nick it was Nick Moss and I was like can you guys come up and sing some songs for me because I think I, I sang like three songs at my first sold out show and I was so sad uh it's, it's such a sinking feeling because it always it's not going to happen on the one that's half full it's going to ha happen on the one that you really don't want it to happen on, is the voice yeah. goes you know yes um here's a here's a random question um celebrity that you've met that you've been awestruck by other than joe bonamos i'll wait <laughs> well that's hard um you know paul schaefer was pretty cool i met him because of you um Artie fufkin <laughs> yes um i would say alice cooper mm -hmm. um i got to play with him in Hawaii once yeah. at the Willie K festival. And um, he was so nice and I was so nervous because yeah. I, I remember going and seeing his show and like, I loved the theatrics and his command on stage and everything was just, you know, it was like a play how that show, how that show wheels out. But um, yeah, you know, him and that same festival, Steven Tyler was there and I didn't get to talk to him but I did get to play with him and I was kind of like very silly nervous. That's a, does it that's you know you ever think that like when you first started that you know here you are we all start in our bedrooms playing music listening to music everybody has the it doesn't matter if you're jimmy page or samantha fish everybody starts off with a record player some sort of protagonist and did you ever did you ever think like there, there's those pinch me moments where even like even like even your euro disney gig yeah you know, you're going I, I, you know, here I am. I'm just a, a driven artist from Kansas City, and all of a sudden, I'm here playing inter to international audiences and 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 hanging out with, uh, you know, Steven Tyler and Alice Cooper, like some sort of hot shot. You know, I mean, it's like it's like it must be surreal because you know you're you're very down to earth, very blue collar, and very grateful for the opportunities. But it, it must dawn on you that you've really accomplished a lot in your career. Yeah, I mean, there are those moments, um, you know, and I, I always consider those, you know, besides like, you know, when you meet your heroes, but I, I've had places that I've always wanted to go to. And then when you when you get there, it's like, wow, this is somewhere I've, I've wanted to come my entire career, even before I was playing music. And here I am getting to play, you know, halfway across the world. It's, it's you know, it's very... It, it lets you know that you're on the right path. Like for me, it always just kind of, you know, I, I just feel this like comfort, like I, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. 
but it's humbling too. You know, it, I, I, I feel grateful, you know, I, I really, I really feel like I'm blessed to be able to do this and to have these opportunities, but, um, it, it is, a, it is a blessing. It is a blessing to do this, you know, and, and, and it's, you know, it, it, it keep, it keeps you grounded, you know, cause it's, it is, especially now because it's all been stripped away, you know, that, that, that entitlement that some, some people have like, oh, it's, you know, I, I'm supposed to be here. No, you're, you're privileged to be there. It doesn't we're, matter. We're very lucky to be in the, the situation that we're in, you know, every day. Cause I know, I know people who are, you know, uh, incredible. And I, I, I feel grateful for my position in life. And I, I'm, you know, I'm, I know how lucky I am to be in the situation that I'm in. So, um, but it's a, it is cool when you get those little, when you get those reminders, um, buddy guy was one of those moments, like getting to meet him and, mm. uh, getting some kind of like, I don't know, just, he, he, he made, he gave me like a, he said something nice to me and it just gave me that little extra, like, okay, I'm on the right path. Kind of a feeling. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's buddy freaking God, you know, you're like, wow, cool. Last two questions before we wrap up. Um, <laughs> how did you come up with the image? Cause it's a great one and you have your own lane with that. And well, it's, how did you come up with the image? You know, my image is kind of, a timeless classic. I, I, I started channeling this like classic timeless thing because I, I wanted something that I could find styles that weren't so trendy and hip that they were going to go out of style in a year. And, you know, classic silhouettes that, that really look great on stage. Um, but also lately I've been kind of edging it out and making it, you know, connecting to more rock and roll styles and sex trying to right. make, trying to mix together this classic with like a new edgy thing and you know i've been playing with different shapes and funky mm -hmm. stuff on stage i i really i don't know i think the aesthetic is something you can really evolve um mm -hmm. and uh you know part of my part of the brand is like people recognize the hair they recognize the eyeliner you know they recognize uh, a few key things that sort of for a while, it was like leopard print. I'm trying to get away from it a little bit, but I'm not doing a good job today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just just kind of key things that are that are recognizable and, and edgy. I just you know yeah. wanted to go out, I wanted to go out on stage and and look as confident as I want to feel, and I want to go out there and feel sassy and have an attitude and play this music and you know own it. You ever get the urge to just like just to mess with people and just go full on goth. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We, we mess with people all the time. Like I did, um, you know, I, I did some, some fun makeup for my, my bulletproof video. People mm. are like, what are you doing? <laughs> some people are completely into, but when you throw them a curveball every once in a while, it's like, it's, it's a little much. I, um, I, I love experimenting with makeup and hair and just different ways of expressing, you know, the music. It's all about the music, but if you can use whatever vehicle to, to really perpetuate it, I mean, I use myself. Yeah, it's like, I mean, like, I mean, Amy Winehouse, one of the, one of the great, you know, modern uh, singers, artists. Yes, I love that beehive. But when you think, when you think of Amy Winehouse, it was her, it, the image fit the music and yeah. it, 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 it didn't, it didn't distract from the music. It, it was a natural extension. You have the same thing and it's, you know, um, yeah. it's, it's, 
it's it's critical because because it's you're dotting all the i's crossing all the t's and that that's what makes a total package and a total artist and you know it's it because there's a lot of people who can play and sing and they 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 go up there and they they look like they're not memorable they're not memorable in the sense you know well i think i think people when they walk into you know when they when they see you for the first time it's like they kind of want to make sense of who you are you know when they right. listen to your music and part of what they see i mean that's a part of it and it's it's weird because it, it's like to, to say that people listen with their eyes. I mean, they do in a sense, you know, that everything, when everything works together, it just, it gets your point across. And it, the last thing I want to do is put something out that's, you know, confusing or people can't quite understand the package. And I, I feel like when you, when you connect all these dots and you, you focus on the brand, which is basically mm. what it is, um, you know, it just, it just helps. It helps people put it, put it together. You know, I think um, just just outside looking in, um, I think you are about to enter with what in business they would call the salad years. Meaning, this will be this will be the formative years where you go from being Samantha Fish here to being a superstar. And oh, I really think you you between I mean just the 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 record I listened to and and the show I saw and and how you're you're focused and 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 have got your own lane. I really think that you're really poised. Final question. It's a tough one. Okay, okay, okay. This is, this is even tougher than the Reese Wines. Oh, God. Do you consider yourself a blues artist? Oh, that is tough. Um, it's a really, it's a, it's a delicate conversation because there's, there's, there's fans that are fans of traditional blues that don't mm -hmm. view me as a blues artist. Right. Um, me personally, I, I just, I make music and I channel my inspiration into my art. And some people have labeled me a blues artist. Every time I, I do interviews and every time I talk about my music, I talk about my influences, which are blues artists. And I try right. to, you know, I, th I think what was important for me when I started learning how to play was I would go and listen to people like some of my favorite guitar players like Mike Campbell from the Heartbreakers or like you know Keith Richards and I go okay well who who were they influenced by and you'd always hear them talk about blues and and so I feel like it's important for me to talk about that because that's what inspires and influences me but I think that it just depends on who you ask honestly because I I feel like you know my guitar playing and my singing are bluesy and blues driven and inspired maybe the framework of the songs kind of fall into a different realm. Maybe it's more rock, maybe it's more pop. Um, maybe it's Americana, but I, I always feel like at the, in, in my heart, I, I feel like I'm trying to bring that blues part to the forefront. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's, that's a tough question. I, I try not to define my music too much because it, it'll freak me out when I go into the studio because I'll be trying to make an album that fits these parameters rather than something that fits me. Um, but I don't know. It's tough. I, I, I don't really know where to sit on that these days. I, I, I love the blues though. <laughs> and I, I talk about it and I claim it. Um, I, I think I'm bluesy. Um, yeah. I, I want to own that moniker. I, I love, you know, playing, playing the blues. Um, but it's, it's kind of, you know, the people sort of decide that, don't they? The people Absolutely. that buy and listen to the music. 
Well, you know, the thing is, uh, I always said this when I, I get the same question. I said, yeah. people don't go to see a blues show that features Joe Bonamassa. They go to see Joe Bonamassa. Yeah. Because they know what that, that entails, whether you like it or not. It's, they, they know it's going to be a bunch of big guitar solos, a few catchy songs and, and some, you know, and, and we, 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 we're doing this new thing where we just, you know, we, we trash the instruments like the who at the end. I'm, I'm making that. Really? No, no. I'm, oh my God. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, you know, and, and, you know, when people go see a, a Samantha Fish show, it's like, they know what they're getting because it's, you have a, you have a baseline of work and they're, they're not there for a single hit song. They're not there for, well, this is supposed to be a blues show. Where's the shuffle? You know, they come in there because they know you, the artist. And that's, that's, that's when you know you have your own lane. Yeah. I think, you know, I like the idea of, you know, being able to bring some of the history of the blues with me. You know, if there's somebody, like if there's a kid who comes to my show, doesn't know anything about, you know, Junior Kimbrough or Charlie Patton, I, 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 I would love for them to, discover them and I, I just I like talking about it because I think it's important I think I think blues is in every kind of modern music there wouldn't be modern music if there wasn't blues so I think it's in everything yeah I mean um, you're the conduit you're you're the gateway for a kid to discover things you know Samantha Fish I think you're a superstar and I'm not just yeah. saying that I think I'm just I'm just I'm just reading off of Wikipedia you're reading the cue cards reading the cue cards which are which are which are which are um at this point at this point i'm so narcissistic they have my name on um, that's perfect yeah i you, you want some because i actually you've got I, the branding thing down you even have your own post-it notes i'm working on a joe bonamassa brand seal of approval the joe the joe b brand seal of approval and the slogan yeah. is if they make it i'll sell it oh that's perfect yeah <laughs> well send me one when uh when you get it done yeah exactly thank you for being here you're a superstar and, and, and I have the utmost respect for you. And, and I, I really think the next, I think the next 12 to 18 months of your life, we're going to, you're, you're going to, you're going to see a sea change that I don't think a lot, you know, I, I think you're going to see big things happen for you. And I'm just, I'm just saying, because I could, I saw it a year ago and I was like, you, you feel like an artist about ready to explode in the best possible way. You're super kind, man. Like, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Samantha Fish, you heard it here first.